This is John Jameson. If this is the first time you've joined me on the Uncharted podcast, thank you and welcome. I really appreciate it. Let me know your aha moments and while you're at it, leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Don't be scared of making it five stars and I'll keep the great content coming to help you make sense of the madness. At the open of trading last week, the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq Composite Index were at an all-time high. Yet, despite the record high prices, despite the underlying conditions, the short sellers were out in force, throwing themselves in front of the train. Last Friday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at an all-time high, and the Wilshire 5000, the broadest measure of stocks in the United States, was, same as the S&P 500 and Nasdaq Composite, also at an all-time high. So, hovering over the order button, did you ask yourself, what is more likely, a major stock market high or a reversion to the mean? If you're picking a high in the US stock market, you are going up against the money machine. And what a machine it is. Money is created by the US central bank, not by printing, but by setting reserve bank requirements. If bank A is to receive 100 million, and the bank's reserve requirement is set at 10%, the bank receives the reserve requirement and can manufacture out of thin air using balance sheet entries 90 million of credit to lend to bank B. Bank B receives 10% of the 90 million or 9 million from bank A as its reserve requirement and creates 81 million of credit. Bank C receives 10% of the 81 million or 8.1 million from bank B as its reserve requirement and creates 72.9 million of credit. This creates a daisy chain of money made out of nothing. This is how money is created by the Fed. But the Fed can also destroy money too, and they do this using the reverse repo rate. This is the rate that banks lend money back to the US central bank, and it's the mechanism the Fed uses to suck money out of the financial system. The repo market is a multi-trillion dollar a day market. Think of it as the world's largest pawn shop, that's pawn with an A, where the only goods worth lending against are US treasury bonds. This is what you're up against when you're betting on a high in a bull market. You are betting that this system isn't just going to fail, but that it's going to fail right now. And that is an argument you are almost certain to lose, just like you did if you placed a bet earlier last week that that all-time high was the beginning of a bear market. You were right for about 48 hours. Modern finance theory assumes price movements are continuous and move smoothly from price to price. They aren't, and they don't. Continuing, Brownian motion describes the random movement of particles suspended in a liquid that collide with faster moving particles. The movements of the particles are distributed according to the normal or Gaussian distribution, also known as the bell curve. Financial theory assumes the price change behaves like particles suspended in a liquid and is best described by using the bell curve. In other words, financial theory assumes price changes conform to the normal distribution. They don't. The 123 of financial market theory states that prices move one independently. It doesn't matter whether it's a five tick up move or a $10 move, each movement is independent of the last, and what happened in the past has zero influence on what happens in the future. Two, prices are statistically stationary. It assumes the process of generating price change stays constant over time. It assumes price changes are random at 50-50 odds, and nothing can ever happen to influence the odds at any point in time. And thirdly, financial market returns follow the normal distribution. 
The distribution of human height conforms to the normal distribution. Our height distribution forms a shape with a tall bell in the middle that tapers off sharply at each end. This shows that extremes are rare. You don't find many people under 3 feet tall, and you don't see many who are over 8 feet tall either. If you took the total number of stock market returns and put them down on a scale, they do not form the same shape as human heights. Now, the academic world in finance theory says they do. Evidence says they don't. Financial market returns form a different shape. The squat profile of market returns has gaps at the edges between the profile and its base, and statisticians call this phenomenon leptokurtosis. But you may have heard of it by its more common name, and that is a fat tail. If financial market returns followed the normal distribution, there would hardly be any outliers in the returns. In the same way you don't see many 8 feet tall humans, you shouldn't see many outliers in stock returns. Instead of trying to persuade you, let's talk about this. If you took the log returns, in terms of standard deviations away from the mean, of the Dow Jones Industrial Average since the 2nd of January 1900, you'd see dozens of outlier spikes. One of which has a 10 to the power of 50 chance of happening, if financial market returns are normally distributed. Raising to a power has the effect of disinvigorating a number, making it appear less than it is. So what is 10 to the power of 50? It's 100,000 million, 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 known to its friends as 100 quintillion. Now, when you understand that that spike has a 1 in 10 to the 50 of happening, if the US stock market is normally distributed, then you now know, a posteriori, how likely that is to be. In fact, it's practically impossible, yet it happened. The US stock market returns are not normally distributed. And from these spikes you see in standard deviations, you can infer that this is true. Now this means that rare events are not as rare as you might think, but this doesn't mean that they happen all the time. If you have a gut feeling about last week's high in the US stock market and you aggressively get short, or even when you see a technical pattern, you are betting that a cycle large enough to overwhelm the will of the US money machine began last week. It might happen, but it probably won't. Look at standard deviations plotted against the mean of the Dow Jones Industrial until that sinks in. If betting on a failure of the US stock market at all-time high prices is low-probability suboptimal thinking, then what is the opposite? What is optimal high-probability thinking? Instead of expecting the all-time high to be the beginning of a bear market, adjust your expectation to expect a reversion to the mean. Using the S&P 500 futures, symbol ES, actually the E-mini futures as an example, the method is the same for any market. Last Friday, the S&P 500 E-mini futures hit its point D target of 43,055, completing an ABCD pattern where point A is the May 13th low at 4,029. Upon completing an ABCD pattern, expect at a minimum a reversion back to the 382 of the CD leg. In the S&P 500 futures for this coming week, the 382 of that CD leg is down at 42.72. But what if the S&P 500 futures keeps rallying? 
ABCD is a leading cycle indicator. It's a quick and easy overlay and aggregate, allowing you to focus on the active cycle in the market. Using two daily closes above a point D high or two daily cl uh, closes below a point D low is the metric that I use to infer that an ABCD pattern is being influenced by a larger cycle and that eventually the visual ABCD pattern you see will become part of a larger ABCD structure. Why do I believe this? Because I believe that financial markets self-organize into fractal three-wave structures. Shock. Horror. Have I just committed an act of technical analysis sedition? What about the five-wave people? What about Elliott waves? They think in fives, but I think in threes. Ralph Nelson Elliott was an accountant without a computer. Benoit Mandelbrot, the father of fractal mathematics, was a scientist with one. Now you can stick with the accountant if you want, but if you use ABCD and listen to me, you're going with the scientist. And by the way, if you do use Elliott waves or have used them in the past, did you ever ask yourself why the last leg of an impulse pattern often ended in a three-wave structure or why some, they sometimes label a wave one as, as a leading diagonal three-wave structure or why sometimes the fifth wave fails to make a new high, a phenomenon they call a truncated fifth or why sometimes a wave five creates a three-wave structure called an ending diagonal. The Elliott people have a set of rules allowing them to shoehorn a pattern into a series of most probable wave counts. But all this goes away when you think in threes. No truncation and no difference in impulse wave structure. Impulse and corrected patterns, everything moves in threes. But what about five waves? You've seen plenty of market moves that move in five waves, so surely markets move in both five and three. Well, since we're talking about probability, I'll leave you to ponder this. What if Elliot was right? But without the use of a computer, it was impossible for him to see that his theory is inside out. As you sip your morning coffee, think about this. What if markets move in threes, but impulse waves, so five wave moves inside of those threes? High probability thinking is an expectation of a reversion back towards the mean, moving to the 382 of a CD leg of a completed pattern. During the reversion, you use other people's money to give you more feedback on the next most likely move. To help you figure this out, I use standard deviation. Every week, the expected move for the week changes. This coming week, the expected move or standard deviation in the S&P 500 futures is plus or minus 98 points from last Friday's close. Minus one standard deviation in the ES this coming week is set at 42.62, forming a 10 handle wide probability zone to trade against. If you're a short term intraday trader, you look for fit patterns and Fibonacci ratios to the upside for entry into a move down towards this zone. If you see two daily closes above a point D high of 43.55, you take the down move off the table and shift the pattern upwards. Doing this gives a new point D target in the ES of 45.50. And if this happens this week, you should look to plus one standard deviation at the end of higher probabilityville. Now this is high probability thinking, not wishful thinking. With the S&P 500 E-mini futures at a point D completion, and with that having the expectation of a reversion back towards the mean, and with the Russell 2000 futures being the weakest of the major indexes, this is why last Thursday I published a short position in the Russell futures. Best seen on a 30-minute chart, the entry is an ABCD pattern into a 0.618 retracement of the last leg, forming a point C high in the downside ABCD pattern. This trade triggered an entry just before the close last Friday. The key here is the expectation on this trade. 
If CD equals AB, the point D target is down at 2130. That's 148 points away. Is this point D target a reasonable expectation for next week? If you think it's not, then go to the top of the class, but for extra points, do you know why it's not? This coming week, one standard deviation in the Russell Futures is 51 points. If you believe that 148 points this coming week is a realistic bet, then you also believe that close to minus three standard deviations this week is a sensible bet. And if you believe that, I've got a great tip for you at the 40 to 1 at Belmont. Expecting a move 148 points down from your entry in the Russell this week is betting on a minus 2.9 standard deviation move, and that's a move that's 85 times less likely than making a move to minus one standard deviation. Yes, it might happen. And it could happen. After all, remember trading and speculation exists in the uncertainty domain. It's just that it probably won't. Setting an overnight wide initial stop. The stop on the short position is now 10 points above the entry. I'm risking 500, but what is my realistic expectation on this trade? If the position works out, minus one standard deviation is 51 points away. And with a 10 point stop, I'm risking one to make five. This is the key to consistent trading. I'm not trying to hit it out of the park. In this case, I'm risking $500 on a high probability entry to make $2,500. And of course, because I'm in the trade, I could get lucky. This weekend, the US money machine could fracture. The US stock market could collapse. I could make 10 times what I expect, but I probably won't. Risking one to make three is what this business is about. If you see a position with the potential to risk one and make five, you figure your risk and take the trade. End of the world, leave that to the other guy. This is John Jameson. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've got a lot out of it. Don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite podcast platform. It will help spread the word and allow me to create more thought-provoking content covering future market and societal trends, including the biggest shakeup in technology since the Mosaic browser. The internet is being re-engineered and not one in a 100,000 realizes it's happening. Welcome to the revolution.